hello, this is Paul Bainsfair and this is the IPA podcast. This week I'm talking to Zaid Al Zaidi, who is the CEO of the Beyond Collective. Zaid is an interesting guy for many reasons, not least the fact that he's both been a client and, of course, now an agency man. You may also have come across Zaid uh, on when he's been appearing on The Apprentice, not as a contestant, of course, but as one of the pundits on the uh, the Little Brother show that runs later after someone's been evicted. And I look forward to talking to him about all of this. Okay, Zaid, it's good to have you along today. Hi, Paul. Nice to be here. Um, it's going to be fun talking about, I think, your experiences both as a client, as an agency man, because there aren't, well, there are obviously quite a few people that have worked both sides, but there aren't that many that rise to the more senior ranks of uh, the agency world, in my experience. So um, I particularly wanted to ask you, because I know you worked at Unilever for quite a while before you uh, crossed the floor, as it were, to become an agency man. I wanted to talk to you about, first of all, what it was that you valued the most from your agencies when you were, when you were a client. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I'd just like to say, you know, the world has changed enormously, but I feel very uh, lucky to have been at what I would describe as kind of the University of Classical Marketing, which is very much what my Unilever experience uh, felt like. I think the big thing that I valued most as a client um, was, you know, as a brand manager, senior brand manager and international marketing manager, we've spent hours and hours and hours debating formulations, end line, test results. And every time we engage an agency, they manage to simplify our thinking uh, down to the most kind of human um, and kind of instinctive uh, form, which was an amazing breath of fresh air. And it didn't matter sometimes how often we protested about how great our formulation was or how wonderful our product was. The creative pushback was always um, to squeeze us into a place that was meaningful for the end consumer. And I think big organisations, especially now with the huge change uh, that they're going through, really struggle to make their thinking um, audience-centric, simple and human. And I think creative agencies uh, have a great knack at doing that. So obviously now you're on the agency side, no doubt that's something you try to do whenever you can. But why do you think things have changed why are clients under so much more pressure and how does that affect the way they interact with agencies yeah i think you know i think the first thing to say is when we talk about clients being under pressure undoubtedly they are i think for a larger organization that pressure feels different to the pressure that you know new swathe of startup cultures are experiencing so when we talk about that pressure and that sea change i think it's important not to assume that everyone is suffering and but I, I would say when it comes to the larger companies that have enjoyed decades of growth, um, I think technology has obviously transformed um, their business and has enabled smaller brands with a challenger mindset to do things that those bigger companies probably did in their early heyday but can no longer do uh, because of the complexity of their organisational structures, supply chain, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So... Um, I think that's making it very hard. I think, you know, there's this famous quote, which is the S&P 500 that exists today, so the American kind of FTSE, that people say that by 2030, 50% of those top 500 companies will be replaced. Some of them will have died, some of them have been replaced by new companies that haven't been invented yet. I think 
change is the new norm. And I think big companies are really struggling to create businesses that deliver the sustainable growth that they historically enjoyed. Yeah, now growth, I'm glad you mentioned growth because, um, I mean, we're at the IPA are, are particularly at the moment driving the, or trying to re-emphasize the notion that agencies can turbocharge growth for clients. Um, and growth at the end of the day is what everybody wants. And one of the things that, um, I, I wonder whether you've come across this, but I, I, I have noticed is that with all of the um, data that's available and the micro-targeting and uh, the need for results, there, there has been a sort of almost an unconscious sort of drive towards short-termism or more activation-style advertising than perhaps was the case when you were a client or when I was applying my trade in advertising agencies. Do you think that's a fair comment? Um, yeah, I think it, it's very, very true. I think it's a race to the bottom. I think Marcoms generally is being commoditized. I think the old notion that a brand is a premiumized version of a product is very much being ch challenged. There are many Me Too brands in the category, so it's a race to... Um, you know, when you know, when all the organic listings, the the SEO battle, or the search battle, or the ROI battle, I understand it because I think technology has enabled clients to understand how their business can affect certain metrics in the short term. But I think that obsession almost undermines the inherent value and equity that some great brands has built over years, which is way more intangible, but has enabled them to place themselves distinctively in a marketplace and, and added great consumer value. So I think the answer lies somewhere in the middle. I kind of fear a Star Trek universe for brands where it doesn't matter who makes it, as long as it works, it works. Um, and I think I think a lot of the classical brands, uh, you know, um, all the classical brand thinking, theory and practice will have a renaissance before before we know it. Well, that's encouraging. And optimistic as well. I hope you're right. Um, so having crossed over and um, become an advertising man, uh, you work for some big groups, I know. Um, you might want to talk a little bit about that. But now, of course, you have your own group, the Beyond Collective, which is in many ways interesting in its own right as a new, I would say it's a new model for uh, an, uh, one of the smaller independent agencies. Not to say you're small, but you know what I'm getting at compared to the big groups. Can you talk a little bit about what what the thinking behind your group is? Yeah, I think I think the, my company is a product of my kind of client and agency experience. So as a client, I valued every moment in the brand experience. I used to enjoy spending time with the fragrance houses as much as I did spending with the advertising agencies, with the design agencies as much as anyone else. And I really valued, you know, things like, packaging you know ergonomic design you know touch feel colors you know every every moment in the brand experience was really important to me um and so that was my kind of upbringing so my time in agency land has been a little bit different which is you know i've been a powerful force in that i've helped open up agencies to do more things and think more broadly beyond purely comms or leaning towards one favoritism to one type of channel or one type of work but i've never felt entirely at home because um, you know, agencies with their background, I've I've experienced to be um, unable to think about the complete 
picture during my era anyway so i'm sure in in the 1980s 1990s i used to i heard about jwt in its heyday thinking as much about a promotional idea a a packaging idea a product idea as as much as an advertising idea but in my era um it was hard to see creative agencies more um anywhere interested in in their products which was essentially broadcast media so i think for me you know i i learned a lot and i love those creative environments and and they feel incredibly liberating and the sense of empowerment you have being surrounded by left and right brain people is a very very special thing that I never experienced when I was on the client side but if I was ever going to build a company it was the ability to think about everything a brand does so the Beyond Collector was founded in 2012 Um, one of our founding agencies is an advertising agency above and beyond we launched a strategic consultancy called Frontier because we wanted to give clients impartial business-centric, brand-centric, strategic thinking. We launched a media agency um, with independence of thought, so not a shackle to um, the big pile of high, sell cheap mentality of a media agency and a production company. And the idea essentially was we would help clients access a you know, an entire kind of suite of assets as and when they might choose it. Or if not, they could just work with a specialist agency. So, you know, we're we're young, but we're doing very well. We've just won Subway. Look, we're on a we're we're on a bit of a roll, maybe, you know, and it's it's not unusual what we're doing. I think Unilever have made the decision to access um, agency talent at a holding company level. So what we're doing is not new in that respect. It's not the first time that media and creative have come together, but we're building a culture ground up to make it easy for our talent and easy for talent clients. And it feels like that's the kind of solution I would have enjoyed as a client. And I think um, besides what I'm doing, what I see is clients incredibly paralyzed by choice. There's too much choice. Um, there's too much pressure on them to coordinate multiple agencies with multiple budgets, um, different sets of KPIs, and to try and create a single agency culture to deliver brand growth. It's way too complex, and I personally don't think the agency landscape has caught up with the need to make it simple and focused for clients, and that's what I'm trying to do. So actually, in many ways, you're, you're putting together in a small independent setup something that can compete with the big networks who are able to pick their different brands and skills to work across the piece for a client. Obviously, not all clients are big enough to go into those big groups. So I imagine you see yourself spotting a gap in the market or an opportunity there. Yeah, I think I think, I think think there's definitely a play around smaller to mid-sized clients. So you take a, a number two brand um, in a big category like cheese, so our client is Pilgrim's Choice, number two largest brand in the UK, cheese. Everyone eats cheddar cheese. It's a massive category, but in the universe of big ad spenders, they're relatively small. So BT could command huge access to uh, holding company power at a kind of holding company level, whereas someone like Pilgrim's Choice can't, even though within their category, they're a huge player. So what we've enabled them to do is access high-level media and creative thinking from one shop in order to drive the growth they deserve um, with their budgets. And I think increasingly, we're not going to be competing against the giants uh, on a cross-discipline point of view. I mean, we're working with Subway, that's a a giant, but that's purely on an advertising point of view. But in terms of cross-discipline servicing, Clients, I think, I think perhaps not, but I think there's a huge swathe of upcoming brands who are kind of lost in the middle. They don't know who to turn to, and I could create the culture and environment to help solve pretty much most of their marketing challenges. 
Can we slightly switch tack now? Because one of the things I mentioned when I introduced you was that you uh, have been for quite a few years now um, uh, a pundit, if you will, on the uh, Apprentice, uh, the little brother show that goes out later after someone's been uh, evicted. Yeah. Um, So that must be fun. Uh, how How many series have you done now? I've done I've done four and uh, it could be five. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, you're waiting for the call. Yeah, yeah. waiting for the call. Um, so, of course, they always have a little bit on marketing, don't they? Whatever the as they get nearer the uh, the end of the show, and they have to come, often come up with an advertising yeah. campaign. Yeah. Is that is that your role to sort of critique that? Yeah. So done? so um, I look at what is increasingly uh, a marketing disaster on telly that everyone enjoys and laughs at and I try to provide constructive uh, feedback and um, the best bit of advice I got because I used to look at other ad guys uh, do this role and um, because the you know, advertising is full of charismatic you know larger than life personalities you, you'd think that the way to do that program is to be charismatic larger than life and try and be really funny but invariably you get edited out in the editing suite because you're sitting next to a comedian who's meant to do the gags or someone else who's meant to do something else. So I very quickly uh, worked out that the best way to maximise my airtime, this is kind of me being half marketing, half ad man, best way to maximise my airtime was to assume a more kind of serious role. Um, and actually it's worked really well. So I keep being I keep being brought back. I'm, I'm the advertising and marketing guru, which for me is totally against how I feel about myself because, you know, when I was client-side looking at agency people, it was the era of big egos and big characters walking into rooms and achieving the impossible madmen style. And I think I never enjoyed that era. And I think I've, you know, come in with a slightly more humble but serious and hopefully uh, uh, more interesting uh, kind of way of approaching that place on the show. But I do like it. I keep telling them, and it's hard because they're, they're, they're... it's an entertainment show so that and, and i think this is a bit of a struggle we have in our industry as well is like it's always really good to show a tv ad and comment on it because you can stick it online and comment and it's really simple it's 30 seconds it's good or bad it's a turkey or not and i think with modern communications it's much harder to talk about right so so i think campaigns always struggle to talk about things that aren't film-based i don't blame them it's really hard to talk about an experience that lived in five different touch points with a seeding chapter a launch chapter a you know um an amplification chapter it gets very boring for the reader all of a sudden and so i think it's much easier to do everything through film so back to the apprentice they're always trying to make a tv ad and i'm always saying you're looking old-fashioned because it ain't just about the tv ad anymore but it makes for good makes for good telly pun intended and how how did you get the gig how did you land the job in the first instance was it through a mate or how, what happened yeah so i had um i was working with a guy uh i'll credit tom here tom wong uh, mother he's the head of fame at mother and he was my uh, new business lead at McCann, and we would. I was a. I was a CSO historically, made into a CEO, and I thought I had to somehow show these New Yorkers uh, that, your, your boss that I had over, it. Over my boss is over in America. That yeah. I had it. So it was about getting my profile out, writing more articles. And Tom said, "I've got a friend. He's a producer at The Apprentice. I went nowhere. I can't do it." He said, "Go on, do it." So I, I shut my eyes, did the interview, got through and um, passed the first one and kept on being called back. I Also, they only pay me a pound, so I'm dead cheap. That is very reasonable. Uh, <laughs> and, of course, you're also um, doing a bit for diversity. Uh, yeah. has, that, has that 
manifested itself in any way. I mean, people talk about that. Do you? Yeah. Um, so you're, we're, you're very obviously an Asian guy yeah. working in advertising, and now on TV. Yeah. Uh, so I so now and again on holiday, uh, and it really winds my kids up because I go, I think that person recognises me, which <laughs> winds my kids up chronically. But yeah, I get <laughs> it. It's weird actually because I've. Um, I do get approached by Asian guys and uh, online by Asian women whenever I'm on The Apprentice, and it feels weird because I've, I, I, you know, I was born here in 1972. Parents from the Middle East, but pretty much from day one was um, kind of in the in a privileged education system and being cocooned and not really uh, standing out for my ethnic background and very much, if I'm to be honest, making an effort to fit in rather than stand out. So when I'm finally on a show in my 40s and by some seem to be a role model for the Asian kind of business community. It feels great and kind of misplaced and weird uh, All at the in same equal time. measure. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay, so we'll leave The Apprentice for a bit now and come back to some more pressing matters of the day. Um, one of the um, I mean, one of the problems I think all the agencies, big or small, are facing uh, is the issue of... Um, pricing or or indeed the, the the kind of deals you have to put up with to get to get a gig these days i mean do you have a do you have any advice to give on that i mean how do you feel you're coping with your own agency pricing do you do you find yourselves often being regarded as a commodity which is what one hears these days and it's kind of like if you really want the job you've got to go low or do you do you have a strategy to combat that I think our best strategy is new business, which is about having choice. Um, so fundamentally, I think if you don't have a choice, you're more likely to make a bad, accept a bad deal than you are if you do. So, and we're relatively young, so we're on a big growth trajectory. So we've probably got more choice than most people because we're not conflicts out of categories. I'm a small company with made of five companies, so I've got five ways to access clients to do different things across different services. So, so generating a lot of choice um in terms of client opportunity is probably my best advice to anyone and then but then faced with uh, not enough choice and a bad deal um i think again it's just about having lots of irons in the fire so you know when i started with 90 percent of our business was project based we were used to getting in and out um you know, making good work, but making the best margin we could on on the opportunity. And that was just what we expected. And we didn't expect long-term relationships. We didn't expect thank yous necessarily. We were judged on how good's our work. If it's any good, they'll come back for more. And then increasingly now, you know, we're finding with clients that who were working with us on a retainer, we're just a, a breath of fresh air because we're offering them the same level of service through a 55-people company than they were getting from a 250-person um, company. So I think automatically, by definition we're probably cheaper and the value or the, the the value we bring is is um is is greater as well because we're more agile etc so i'm not suffering what i'm trying to say is i'm not really not suffering but i am i'm kind of more fearful of of our ability to grow as we are more mature in size um and uh but it's not a problem we've had but i know having worked in big agencies like mccann that it's a problem that a lot mm. of people have to deal with. I mean, we've been doing some very constructive work with ISBA uh, on this issue. And I have to say there are lots of enlightened clients now, and I've met many of them, who recognise that the 
the kind of constant pushing down of agency prices has been a bad thing, actually, not just for agencies, but for clients too. Um, and there is a recognition that, you know, agencies are simply not commodities and that you should pay a reasonable amount for the value that you're getting, which yeah. goes back to what we were saying earlier. But um, I was just um, I was just wondering whether you you felt, and this is what I'm hearing, and I'm, I'm looking for some confirmation of this, that actually you can, as an agency, be confident if you feel that you have persuaded the marketing team uh, about your prices, because although one is given the impression often that the purchasing people or the procurement people are driving the, the, the wagon when it comes to the appointment, I'm now of the opinion that, that is not so true and that if you really have made a connection with the marketing people, you've solved the problem in the pitch or apparently have solved the problem, one should be more confident in staying staying on, on what is a reasonable price for the for the job. Yeah, I think I I do believe that. I think we've never had anyone challenge our price when we've delivered a good product. And I think if you're consistently delivering an average product and you're a bit, a bit complacent and you don't understand what the key drivers of your client's business are and wake up and think about their business first, then I think very quickly you can be called out for you know, operating with self-interest. I think a lot of big companies where you have senior executives who aren't really connected to day-to-day business may struggle to convince clients they really care about their business. So I think all the basics, um, everything that made you great in the first place is probably what you need to make sure you're still doing. And I'd be very surprised if that was the case, if you were being driven down in price. And of course, London has been, um, has always been the fertile breeding ground for young startup agencies. And it's great to hear your business is, is going well. What's your um, what's your ambition for the Beyond Collective? I mean, what what would success look like, say in uh, let's say ten years from now? What where would you imagine you would like to be? I genuinely just want to be an incredibly powerful force in the independent creative company sector, and um, independent because I don't necessarily want to sell. So a lot of the acquisition models that I've witnessed don't necessarily work for me or my partners right now um i'm not sure how rel- i'm not sure how exciting they are quite frankly um so we're just really passionate about cracking this micro network um best of both worlds awesome agencies awesome collective um group company kind of ethos in a way that could generate um fame and fortune for me and my clients well, that's good to hear, because I think, um, I mean, paradoxically, that that you know, often what happens with small agencies, they grow, they become successful, they they're sold or they're bought. Yeah. I, I think often it's the agencies that don't set out to be bought that want to just go on and succeed that become the most attractive. So that way, you get you get to choose yeah. your your yeah, future. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's been look, it's been great. We've had twenty five minutes almost, oh, so wow. it's been yeah, great yeah, yeah. talking. Um, I wish you all the best and we look forward to hearing more from you both on The Apprentice and uh, reading about the Beyond Collective in, in the pages of Campaign. Great and thanks for having me. Great, enjoyed it. Well I hope you enjoyed uh, our chat with Zaid, I know I did. Um, this has been Paul Bain's Fair and this has been the IPA Podcast. 